0: Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Boutosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 25, if you will. Matthew chapter 25. Title of my message today is Return on Investment. Return on Investment. We've all seen this passage, I feel, how many of you were here last week, amen? A couple of you were here, felt like there was more of you. You just don't want to raise your hands, I got it, that's all right. But man, last week was just so powerful, talking about pouring. What do you do when you feel empty? What do you do when you feel deficient? What do you do when you feel like you have nothing to give? Give. Give. You pour all that you have into what you have. And most of the time, the reason why we don't feel like we have anything to give is because we've neglected the very thing God is asking for us to give. But we found out last week in 2 Kings chapter 4 that the key to staying filled up is by pouring into. And so what are the empty vessels? Anybody spend this week looking for empty vessels to pour into, looking for empty vessels to give into because that's the key to staying filled up. Most of the time, we're too busy looking for vessels that will fill us up and God is sending you vessels that you fill up. So when you don't feel like you have uh, anybody giving you love, give love. When you don't feel like you have enough finance, give finance. When you don't feel like you've got enough peace, in your life, bring peace to somebody else's life. I'm serious, this is the word of God. This is what we received last week, that many times your answer to getting what you're believing from God is by giving the very thing that you are believing for, because you have it in you. Look at your neighbor and say, you have it in you. You have it in you, you have a gift. Whether you've set it aside, whether you keep walking past it day in and day out and you don't even acknowledge it anymore, you don't even care about it anymore, nobody else cared about it, so why should I care about it? Nobody else is giving it to me, so why should I give it to somebody else? But as long as you have pots to pour into, you'll have oil to pour out. As long as you have a pot to pour into, you'll have oil to pour out. And so I don't know about you, I'd be spending the rest of my life finding pots to pour out Pour into because when I don't have a pot, I don't have oil, I run dry. It's to flow through you, not for you. He said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and what all these things would be added unto you. So, the answer to getting is giving, the answer to receiving is pouring, the answer to staying filled up is. Let go of what you have and God will make sure you always have enough for yourself, amen? So I hope that you received that word last week and if you weren't here last week, you definitely wanna be sure and get online. And I think this message may tie into that a little bit. Uh, We'll just see how the Lord directs us. But here in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 14, it says this. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip And he called together his servants and entrusted his money to them. So here in this instance, we're literally talking about money. We're literally talking about finance, something monetary. But we know that this can be applied in many different ways. But here it says that he entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one. He gave two bags of silver to another and one bag of silver to the last. So we got five, two, and one, different amounts, different increments. Not everybody received the same gift. Not everybody received the same amount. And it goes on to say that he divided them according or in proportion to their abilities. So they were given or what they were given was determined by what they did with what they already had. Are you seeing this? So you're What you're given is not at random. Let me find one to give five, one to give two, one to give. There was something that the master uh, uh, was looking for or something that indicated to the master what they could handle. I'm giving you five, you've proven you can handle five. I'm giving you two, you have proven you can handle two. I'm giving you one, you've proven to me that you can handle one. Everybody starts somewhere. We can also... Uh, determined this that the one with five had to at some point start with one right somewhere he's going according to or in proportion to their abilities so the servant determined what the master gave not the master what you have at your disposal today what you're handling today what is in your care today you have proven to God what you can handle No more, no less. God is not unfair. He's not an unfair master that would give you more than you can handle. He's also not an unfair master that he would give less of what you've already proven to handle. So where you're at today, somewhere in your life was an indication to God, this is what I can take care of. This is what I can handle. He then left on his trip. of how they had used his money. So the master's coming back, not just saying, do you have my money? He's not coming back to make sure you didn't lose his money. He's coming back for one thing and one thing only. How much more do you have to give back to me? What did you do with what I gave you? And if you handled it properly, I would return and receive back more than I originally gave you. So he's not looking for them to store it up. He's looking for them to turn it into something else. He's looking for them to invest it. So he comes back, wants to see how they've used the money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done. My good and faithful servant, you have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave to me two bags of silver to invest. I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Notice, both servants, regardless of the amount they were initially given, produced the same measure, produced the same result, that the master wasn't looking for quantity. He was looking for Uh, uh, investment he was looking for what he gave to produce beyond what he gave it wasn't a matter of can you produce 10 like he produced 10 even though I gave you less he's simply looking for the same production from both of them he's looking for an increase he's looking for an investment He says to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You're faithful with the small. But then he moves on to the last servant. The servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant, and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. And I was afraid that I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. That's the opposite of good and faithful servant. Wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant. Give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That sounds like the gracious and merciful God that we all know, right? That's the God that gives us second chances and that's the God that that you know looks the other way when we fail or we falter and man if we'll just come and say God, I'm I'm so sorry I missed it. I'm so sorry I blew it. But we're going to find out there's something actually more to the reason. There's something there's a bigger picture here to why God or the master who is a picture of God responds the way he responds to the last servant. But the first thing I want you to understand is this key of investment, this key of investment. And today I'm gonna give you three keys to investment, three keys to investment. First off, we need to see that investment means this. This is the word investment defined. This is not the biblical version. This is good old uh, uh, dictionary version. Investment means to use, give, or devote as for a purpose, to use, give, or devote, as for a purpose, as to achieve something. To use, give, or devote, as for a purpose, or to achieve something. So, investment always has a goal in mind. Investment always begins at the end, not at the beginning. I'll put it this way. Investment doesn't begin with the deposit. Investment begins with the demand. And I want to show you today even the difference between investing and saving because I don't believe God is in saving mode. Now, I'm not talking about salvation. Yes, he wants to see all men saved and come to repentance. But I want us to go even deeper than that. And I want us to understand and recognize, again, we're talking about money in this particular scenario, but the money in this scenario can be anything that you can use, give, or devote for a purpose to achieve something. And there is a danger the enemy wants to get us into save mode and get us out of invest mode and there 's a difference when you invest and in, you know if you just talk about you know financially uh, one of the first questions i, I uh, just in the last several years opened up uh, an investment account. For my wife and I. That's basically just gonna be, you know, like our retirement thing. And so, you know, one of the first questions they ask you when you go to open an investment account is what is your goal? What is your goal? Because investment has different parameters than just saving or putting something aside. Because if your goal is long-term, if your goal is 401k, if your goal is, is, uh, uh, you know, I'm gonna rely on this from age 65 and beyond, then it's gonna have different parameters than say uh, I'm saving to buy a vehicle or I'm saving uh, for a new child that's coming or I'm saving um, to pay off this debt or whatever the case may be. It's gonna have different parameters one of the key things in the particular account that we opened up was it had withdrawal penalties if we took it out prior to a certain time since we were uh, investing for long term if we took it out prior to a certain age or to a prior length of time that it's had to sit in this account then there would be with uh, there would be penalties on withdrawing it or taking out sooner than its maturation date. So an investment is always treated differently than just saving something, than just storing something. And I want you to know that God has always operated out of an investment mode, not save mode. From the beginning of time, when God does anything, he thinks investment. He thinks investment. What does that mean? That means there is a goal in mind. There is something, there is a purpose for which we are setting this aside. There is something we are trying to achieve. And so an investment doesn't begin with the deposit. It begins with the demand. It begins at the end, not at the beginning. That's where investment begins. Well, when God invested in your life, guess what he was thinking of? The end, not the beginning. He was thinking of what you would become. He was thinking of what you would gain. He was thinking of what you would add to his kingdom. He was thinking of the asset that you would become for the kingdom of God. He was thinking of how his glory would be revealed through his church, that with a church that he would be able to represent without spot and without wrinkle. He was thinking far ahead. And you know what? When you think far down the road, there are certain things that you do and don't do now to save what's next, to invest in what's next. And I have found that the things that sometimes are the most desirable and the most enjoyable now don't pay off later. But I have found also that the things that pay off in the long run, that pay dividends in the end are very uncomfortable and, and, and not desirable and go against what I want right now. Any, can I get a witness from anybody that's had to put down a snack because the long-term goal is to lose a certain amount of weight? That you don't do certain things now that would prohibit you or compromise what your long-term goal is later. Anybody? Anybody? got that going on. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's in your relationships that you're saying, you know what? I can't take this on right now because it's going to compromise where I'm trying to get to be later. We all have to make those decisions. And every decision we make is either towards our now or towards our next. Every decision we make, you're either investing in right now or you can invest in tomorrow. You can invest in tomorrow. Later, you can invest in what's next, and so God is a God that is investment minded. The Bible says that Jesus was a lamb slain when before the foundations of the world, he already knew he was going to make that investment. He already knew I'm going to do this now because it's going to reap dividends later. But from the beginning of time, God has known the plan. In Genesis chapter one, when God gives man design and God gives man purpose and he creates man and he says, you're gonna rule and have dominion on the earth. Just as I rule in heaven, you're gonna rule on the earth and I'm putting my nature, I'm putting my likeness, I'm putting my form inside of you so you can execute in, on earth what I'm executing in heaven. And when they got rid of that, when they sinned and disobeyed God and handed that over to the enemy, guess what God had? God had a plan right then and there in the garden that would reap dividends and reap benefits later. He had an investment plan. He told that snake right there in the garden, He will crush your head. You'll bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. This isn't over. I've got a plan. I've had a plan in place to redeem and buy back and restore this whole thing back to its original intent before you even even showed up on the scene. I already had a plan to get man back and he's got a plan to get you back, amen? God is into investment. And so I wanna show you, these three keys of investment. Number one is the deposit. Now we just learned that it doesn't start with the deposit, but you have to make a deposit before you can make a demand. Hello? We all end up in areas of our lives where we're making demands where we haven't made deposits. That's like going to the bank and today, putting in $100 and going back tomorrow and trying to get out 1000 We demand what we never deposited, what we never put in. Your investment starts with the deposit. And so the master is investing in these three servants. He's investing in these three guys. And he says, I'm going on a long journey. And so what does he do? He deposits something in them. One five, one two, and one one. And these five, two, and one were determined. The deposit was determined by what they could uh, produce or what they had already proven to handle in their lives in proportion to their abilities. And so God makes uh, deposits. You can't make demands until you make deposits. Look at Mark chapter 10. I want to show you what happens when we try to make a demand where we haven't made a deposit. Mark chapter 10, you can keep your finger in Matthew chapter 25. But in Mark chapter 10, we see a a, a story of, uh, again, centered around wealth, again, because wealth and finance just gives us a really good picture of how we use what we have and what we do with what we have. It's very easily broken down. But we're talking about time, gifts, talents, abilities. You have more at your disposal than you think you do. You have more available to you than you think you do, but how well are we using what we have? How well are we using the time? How well are we using our efforts? How well are we using our intentions? How well are we using our friendships? How well are we using the resources that God has given to us? So in Mark chapter 10, verse 17, it says, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit What's he trying to do? Get something. What must I do to get? What must I do to receive? What must I do to demand is what he's saying. Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. The reason why he says that, I've had people ask me, what is he talking about? Well, you know, he's, he's good. Why is he calling? Because the, the, the rich young ruler is only able to call Jesus good on his terms, not God's terms. You can only call me good to the measure and to the level that you know good. You don't even know good. I haven't even revealed to you what good looks like. You're coming to me on your standards. You're coming to me on your level. You're coming to me on your ability to recognize what I can do for you, but you have no idea what I can do for you. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, almost interrupting Jesus. I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. The New King James actually reads, I have kept all these commands. So, so far we recognize what this young man wants to receive and we recognize what this young man has kept, but we haven't yet learned what he's willing to give. We haven't yet learned he's wanting to make a demand, but what has he put in. And it says, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him, as if Jesus was able to feel anything else. But he felt genuine love. There is still one thing you haven't done. And you know his ears are perked up. You know he's like, well, man, I just listed all that stuff off. I mean, you're telling me there's just one more thing? Tell me, what is that one thing? Because everybody in this room has a one thing. Yeah. Got something. You can rattle off your resume. You can impress God with all your stuff. You can tell him how long you've been in church, how much of the Bible you've read, how many godly friendships, you know, uh, all, all of your little resume stuff. But eventually he will get down to your one thing. He says, there's still one thing you haven't done. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. You will have treasure in heaven. He's not trying to take the man's wealth away. He's trying to to show him another level of wealth he hasn't even yet experienced but you'll have treasure in heaven. Bible tells us that where our treasure is, that's where our heart is also. But the man's response isn't that great. He says, then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. And he went away sad. And it even tells us why he went away sad. He went away sad for he had many possessions. Now there's nothing wrong with this man's wealth. This is not about his wealth at all. It has nothing to do with his money. It has nothing to do with the poor and they need what he has. And, 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 and because he's unwilling to give up what he has, uh, the poor don't have what they need. It has nothing to do with that. Jesus is trying to get deeper than the money. Jesus is trying to get to the man's heart. Jesus never wanted the man's stuff, he wants the man. Jesus doesn't want your stuff. He's not asking for your stuff. He's not asking for your finance. He's not asking for you to be poor and broke so you can trust in him. He is trying to help you understand that if you want to come be a part of this cause, if you wanna make a demand on this ministry, if you wanna be a part of the kingdom of God, you've got to come in not for what you have, but for what you can give, for what you can contribute. Because he's got disciples back standing behind him that have left homes, they've left jobs, they've left familiarity, they've left parents, they've left comfort, they've left everything they know, they've left uh, uh, their lives behind to what? Follow Jesus. They did not come in for what I can get out of the kingdom. They came for what I can give to the kingdom. They did not come to consume. They came to contribute to the cause of Christ. So before you can make a demand on something, there must be a deposit. There must be something that you give and something that you put in. He simply could not allow this man, since God operates on a principle of investment, he could not allow this man to make a demand of something without investing in it. He could not allow, and this is the same for you and I. He cannot allow by principle, by nature, God cannot allow us to receive from what we have not put into. We cannot make demands when we have not made deposits. You can receive his life, yes, but what's he asking of you? Yours. And let me just tell you, That what you have to give fails in comparison to what God has to give your life is trash your life is dirt your life is worth nothing in and of itself but God still says man if you give me your life your rags your your junk I will in turn give you new life I in turn will make you a new creation in Christ Jesus and the old will be passed away and the and all things will be made new but I'm asking you to lay down your stuff so you can take on mine. And so it's not about how the deposit measures up to what you're trying to get in return. He's just asking you to lay down. So what's the one thing? What's the one thing that you need to deposit so now you can make a demand on what God has for you and I? We've got to make A deposit. It always starts with a deposit. And how far you're willing to go with God is always indicated by how much you're willing to give to God. How far you're willing to go is revealed by how much you're willing to let go. So he's not asking for this man's stuff. He's not asking for his money, for his wealth, for his riches. he's, He's honestly not even thinking about how can this bless and affect the poor. That's a byproduct. Ultimately, I want to know, do I have you or do I just have you in convenience? Do I just have you in comfort? Do I just have you as long as other stuff isn't on the agenda that day? Do I just have you as long as nobody else uh, needs your time? Do I have you just as long as everything's good, but as soon as you lose everything, then I'll lose you too? Or do I have you in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of trial, in the midst of challenge, in the midst of circumstances that don't align with your life? When all hell is breaking loose, do I still have you? Do I have someone that will take up his cross and follow me and lay down everything you have? That's what he's saying. Because that's what Jesus has to have. You know, the sad part, about this young man is that he walks away. The sad man goes away. The the rich man goes away sad. And this is the thing. What Jesus is asking for, he can't take with him anyways. Bible says that we'll take none of this with us. Whatever we've gained in Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24, Jesus explains it this way. Matthew 16 and verse 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. Look what he says. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his fathers and will judge all people according to their deeds. And I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. He gives you two options, but they both amount to the same thing. You can either give it or you can lose it. You can either give it or you can lose it. You think back to the one man that buried his talent. Unwilling to risk losing it, he ultimately what? Lost it. Sounds to me like the choice is clear. Sounds to me like my options are down to lose it or lose it. Or maybe my options are use it or lose it. Either way, I don't end up with it in the end. Either way. See, there's, there's things, see, that, that, that one thing. And it's the one thing because you don't want to let it go. That's, it's not a one thing if you say, man, I, I put that down today. I'll stop doing that tomorrow. Man, I don't have to go back to that right now. I don't need it anymore. Then it's not your one thing. It's not your one thing. One things bring turmoil. They will make you sad initially. One things will be like, man, this is like we talked about last week. Poverty has a funny way of showing you what you really rely on and trust in. Deficiency has a funny way of showing you you didn't think you put your hope and trust in that, but you did. You could, you would respond and tell people all day long, I don't care what people say, but you do. Because the second you don't have their affirmation or their validation, you break down and turn into a big ball of mush. Hello? It's amazing the things that we don't think we rely on until it's taken out from under us and you're like, Well, I guess I needed that more than I thought. I guess I relied on that more than I did. It's called a crutch. And you can get comfortable with your crutch. You can get familiar with your crutch. You can learn to live with your crutch. You can learn to live with deficiency. You can learn to live with brokenness. You can learn to live with hurt and pain. In fact, living with hurt and pain can be more comfortable than actually having people recognize how awesome you are. Yeah. No, you can lose it or you can lose it so he makes it very clear what are you gaining you get the whole world but yet you lose your soul so i'm asking it of you i'm requiring it of you and if you will lay it down willingly then you can make a deposit but if you don't want to lay it down willingly you'll ultimately lose it in the end so our choices are clear I also wanna show you this in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, while we're still on this point of the deposit. And this will actually connect us to our next point, our next key. Luke chapter 12, verse 16. Jesus tells a parable, tells a story here. He says, then he told him a story. A rich man, so again, Got another individual with wealth. You're seeing a theme here. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops, and he said to himself, "What should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. My crops. It wouldn't that be a nice problem to have?" Wouldn't that be, that's what we all want. More room than we know what to do with or more stuff than we know what to do with, right? That's what we pray, that the windows of heaven will be poured out and you won't have enough room to store it. Won't have enough room to keep it. So that's what this man has. And then he said, I know I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to what? Store Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, You have enough stored away for years to come because that's how God wants us. God wants us plenteous. God wants us overflowing. God wants us having so much we don't know what to do with. So we have to build bigger barns and bigger houses and bigger stuff to house it all, just to hold on to it, just to store it, just to stick it somewhere and say, look what I have. Look what I've accumulated. Look what's been added to me. You've done enough. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get, who will get, who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. He stored it up. This is the thing about the devil because he's tricky. He's deceiving. If the enemy can't keep you from having it, he'll put you in a situation where you become so satisfied and so enjoyed of it that, you'll, that you won't ever use it and do anything with it. Both positions are dangerous. Both positions are dangerous. I know we think that we, the, the, the answer to get out of one ditch is to go fall over into the other ditch. And that's why we have, because of even scriptures that I'm reading today theologies and thought processes that God wants you uh, broken and God wants you, uh, you know, down and out and God wants you trusting and relying on him and God doesn't want you to have enough and God is against you having wealth and riches and treasures. The most, uh, the, the man that has walked this earth that made more money and had more wealth than anybody ever on the face of the earth is recorded in this book. It's not in some history book. It's not in some text that's secular. It's in the Bible. And guess who gave him that wealth? (laughs) He didn't even do anything to earn it other than he asked God for wisdom. He says, because you asked for wisdom, I'm gonna make sure nobody ever walks this earth and has more than you. So God is not against wealth. God's not against what you have. But God is a God of investment. So God is always wondering, how are you taking what you have, giving, using, or devoting for the purpose of something else or to achieve something else. That is what he's always looking at. With every resource, you do not impress God with what you have saved. You do not impress God with what you have stored up. You don't impress God with what you have salvaged and, and uh, been able to remain or, or, or to keep and hold on to. You impress God when you use what you have, give away what you have and put it to work. And then as a result, he increases you. This is the principle we're looking at. We're looking at the principle of investment today. This is not a Dave Ramsey seminar. Not talking about money. There's a lot more I'm talking about than just money. So don't get hung up on that. But the enemy will rob you of what you have by causing you to become satisfied with it rather than turning around and investing it and using it for the glory of God. So if we start with the deposit, then the second key of investment is potential. Is potential. Potential gives one five, gives one two, gives one one. And this is really the key that we have to hone on here when it comes to investment. Because when you invest, one of the key factors is you want to know its potential to produce. In fact, if you invest in something that doesn't have potential to produce, then it actually is squandering what you put in. Potential has to do with not what it is, but what it is yet to be. Are you with me? Potential has to do not with what it currently is, but with what it is yet to be and yet to produce and yet to do. And this is why God is a God of investment, because when he calls Abraham, who is a father that, uh, or who is a man that does not have any children at all and cannot have children and is beyond the years of, of having children. And then he speaks into that man and says, you will be the father of many nations. What's he talking to? Potential. When he calls a shepherd boy that wasn't even invited to the anointing party and says, you're going to be the next king of Israel, what is he speaking to? Potential. When he finds a murderer that is slaying Christians left and right and doing all that he can to stop the move of God and calls him to be the next catalyst of the church of God, what is he calling out? Potential. God is a God that is only moved by potential. You will never move God by what you have not yet done or who you are right now. It doesn't, God doesn't care one flip. He has never called somebody that all had had everything all together and he never will. He's going to keep finding people that don't measure up and don't have the qualifications and don't have the experience and don't have the money and don't have the status and don't have the stuff. And he's going to call you to do stuff that's way bigger than you will ever be without him. And if you don't want to do it, sit down and he'll find somebody else to do it. He's not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. His resume doesn't say, well, what are your abilities? His resume says, so uh, when can you come in? When can you be here? When can I count on you? How early can you show up? How late can you stay? How long can you do this? how faithful will you continue to do this even though nobody may notice? His resume and his interviews look a lot different than ours do. But he's calling out potential. And potential is key to investment. Potential also has to do with environment. Your environment is very key to your investment. What is around you, listen to this, what is around you can compromise what's in you. It's not that it's not in there, but it's that you keep surrounding yourself with people and stuff and things and agendas and plans that stifle and restrict what God has put inside of you. I mean, I've seen this happen in the natural. Somebody's not thriving, somebody's not uh, uh, producing, somebody's not being fruitful. Put them in a different environment, all of a sudden the light bulb comes on. Put them in a different seat on the bus. Find them a different role. Find them a, good, a, a better fit. Find them a place where they can thrive and they open up. And all of a sudden, man, you'll start seeing stuff come out of them you never knew was even there. Only because, not because you did anything to the person, but because you put them in a different environment. Now, the ground is a great place to put seeds and crops and and, and agriculture, but it's not a great place to put money. And the one with the five and the one with the two, they knew the environment that their investment needed. They knew where their investment needed to go. They knew where to plant in place what the master had given them to steward over. But the last servant apparently didn't understand agriculture that well and thought if you put quarters and dimes in the ground that it produces more quarters and dimes, it doesn't work that way. You've got to put it in the place that is conducive for its growth and development. And some of us feel, uh, 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 some of us feel like, we're not producing we're not fruitful there's nothing in us and it's only because you have been taken out of the environment that god wants you to be or maybe you've taken yourself out of the environment that god wants you to be just as i was telling you earlier some investments they have withdrawal penalties well guess what happens if you uproot from a season too soon you're going to pay a penalty You'll pay a price. And guess what? You will always feel like it's time to go or do something different before it's time. Always. That's part of the process. Part of the process is your character and your integrity to remain faithful and committed to whatever God has called you to do, regardless of what it looks like on the outside. And many times when you feel like it's time to go, that's really when God wants you to stay. And many times when you just wanna stay because it's comfortable and convenient and I don't wanna do anything else, God's really trying to urge you to go on and do something else. It's opposite of what feels natural because you don't go by what feels natural, you go by the voice of God and being obedient to the call in your life. Part of being a pastor is watching people uproot too soon. They do it all the time. We think we know better than God. We think we know when we're ripe, when we're ready, when we're good. Okay, man, God, I've been sitting in this thing for a while. My marriage has been going through this for a while. I've been doing this. I've been doing it. And you want to tell God all your stuff? And he says, not, not just yet. Not yet. We're not there yet. I'm still working on some things. I'm still working on some things and usually the things that he's working on at that point is not the stuff around you, he's working on the stuff in you. But yeah, you keep looking at everything around you as an indication on whether I should stay or not. Well, they're leaving. Well, those people aren't even serving God anymore. Well, they're not doing it. Or what difference is it making? If I do it, nobody notices. All of the wrong indicators to tell you if you should keep going or not. All of the wrong motivating factors. You won't stand before Jesus and be able to say, well, they left and say, okay, you get a pass too. No, you won't. You will stand before the master. He will come and receive a count. And he'll say, so I gave you five and you took the five and you put it in the ground. Where's my Where's my investment? What am I getting back in return? He's he's coming back. You thought he was returning. He's looking for a return. He's returning looking for a return. And the only reason he does is because he knows the potential. He knows the potential. He knows what it could be. Potential is discovered, not decided. You don't decide what you are capable of. You discover what you are capable of. God has already decided before you were even in your mother's womb, I formed you, I knew you. He put everything in you and whether you reach that potential or not makes no difference. It's in you to do it. talked about it last week. The jar of oil that you walk by, that you neglect, that you've abandoned, that you became familiar with, that you forgot about, that you don't even care about anymore has the potential to fill up pot after pot after pot after pot if you will lend yourself and make yourself available to the potential within the jar and yeah we all want to judge the jar and say there's no way the jar can fill the pot but that's because the holy spirit does the work that's because it's not up to you it's up to you to pour it's not up to you to produce you pour you put yourself in a position where you're giving and you're giving and you're giving and you're, and you're doing and you're doing and you're doing and all along you're becoming and you're becoming and you're becoming. There's potential. So five became 10. Two became four. And the reason why the master is so distraught, the reason why the master is so upset at the last servant, the reason why the master responds the way that he responds is because he knows the potential of even but one talent. In essence, we're telling God what he gave us and how it's worth and what its value is. That's essentially what's happening. Hey, I know you gave me one talent. You know, it's not really nothing. I just put it in the ground. No, the master determines the worth. The master determines the value. There's potential. But this is what I love about this passage. And I just saw this this week as I was studying this. Never seen this before. But the master is really not even that concerned with the money if you look at his response if you look at his response to the three men it really has nothing to do with money going back and reading and i'm going to read it to you out of the new king james because i need i need the the wording here In verse 20 of Matthew chapter 25. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you deliver to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. He's got a total of 10 talents. His Lord said to him, watch this, well done, good and faithful Servant. Let's try that again. Good and faithful servant. Okay, just so we all see that word. Just so we all know what's there. Good and faithful servant. Then he responds. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you Ruler. I will make you ruler. I've never seen this before. I've seen that before, but I never see what I'm about to show you. The master was not interested in turning five into 10. Turning two into four or turning one into two. The master was more interested in turning servants Into rulers. What he's really looking for is who will rise to the potential of one day ruling and mastering. But you have to come in as a servant. You come in in a posture of submission. You come in in a posture of servanthood. You come in as Jesus came in and says, I did not come to be served, I came to serve. The potential, the reason why the master responds the way he does to all three men and the reason why he ends up ultimately casting out the last servant is because he says, I'm looking for servants that can one day rule. I'm looking for servants that will serve now, but one day can be masters. And he goes to that third servant, he says, you wicked and lazy servant. Notice in all three categories, he's not just fixated on the money. He's fixated on the person. The money is a byproduct. The wealth is a byproduct. The the, the finance is a byproduct of the person becoming something. What are you becoming in this process of potential. What are you being, what, what are you working on inside of you? Who are you becoming? Is really the question that we should be asking. It's not about what I do. It's about who I am. It's about who I become. And God sees master inside of you. God sees ruler inside of you. So don't operate as a servant and a slave when he's called you to be so much more. And see, when that last servant, he didn't just bury money. He buried potential. He buried value. He didn't just bury finance. He buried who he was. He put himself in that hole in the ground. And the master saw on him the same potential he saw on the other two no different, no less, no more. Your potential comes through a process, our potential is not overnight. And if you reject the process you ultimately reject the progress the product what it could be. There's potential all over this room today but your potential in who you can become is compromised when we don't value what we have. God isn't wanting to pull gifts and talents and abilities out of you just for the blessing of other people. Sure, that's a great motivation and we're expanding the kingdom, but ultimately he's working on you. And who are you becoming in the process? The third key that we have, the third key that we see is the return. We have the deposit, we have the potential. Now we have the return. Another word for that would be yield. What does it yield? The return, the master comes and he what? He makes a demand on what he deposited. Again, remember, if God is making a demand in your area, it's an indication of what he's deposited in your life. And we'll always go through things that we think demand more of us than what's in us or who we are. But that's where potential comes in. And God is wanting to show you, you thought you were just this. You thought you were just the servant, but I actually want you to be ruler that command wasn't given when the master left I want to see which of you is going to end up becoming a master but ultimately that's what God was working on the whole time moving you from servant to master and so the return on the investment the return on investment for God the return on the investment for this master wasn't just more money, it was rulers. You and I are called to rule. You and I are called to dominate. You and I are called to control. You and I are called to manage. You and I are called to, to uh, 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 subdue this earth. That this op, Nothing in this earth should be operating without our permission. I don't care what virus they're talking about. I don't care what battle, what challenge, what struggle, what, what, what racial issue, what, what ec- economical issue. I don't care what's going on. in this. If you're moved by those things, you have not yet discovered who you are in Christ. You have not yet discovered you're a ruler. You're above and not beneath. There's nothing on this planet that can touch you because you were put in place to control and manage all that stuff. You're a ruler. God's return on investment is a person, not just a thing. You are God's return on investment. When he puts gifts and abilities inside of you, what he's really coming back and looking for is you. See, faithfulness yields fruitfulness. Faithfulness yields fruitfulness. And I I told our Elevate team members this morning in our huddle that God showed me this, that anybody can be faithful. You don't have to go to school for it. You don't have to have a certain amount of money to be faithful. You don't have to know certain people to be faithful. You don't have to have a certain educational background. You don't have to be promoted to a certain position to be faithful. You don't have to go to a certain church to be faithful. You don't have to have a certain amount of kids to be faithful. Your marriage doesn't have to be in a certain status to be faithful. You can be faithful right now, right where you're at. Worship team, if you come, faithfulness yields fruitfulness. It's sticking it out. It's grinding through. It's allowing the process to work itself out in you. It's allowing things to to grow. It's allowing things to be cut off. It's allowing things to be let go of. It's allowing things to be added to you. It's allowing your character to go through sometimes assassination. It's allowing integrity to be built up within you. It's allowing yourself to walk in love. Even when nobody's walking in love towards you, it's allowing you to stand on the word. When everything else is failing around you. Faithfulness yields fruitfulness. Will you be faithful? He said, you are faithful with little. And this is what's crazy. He said, you'll be faithful with little to the one with five. And he said, you are faithful with little to the one with two. Five and two were both little to God, to the master. He doesn't even acknowledge the difference of what they had, the different increments of what they had. He doesn't even acknowledge it. He just simply says, you are faithful with little. Guys, we all have something at our disposal. We all have resources available to us. We all have talents that the master has handed over to us and he's looking to you to steward it. he's looking to you to handle it. He's looking to you to manage it. He's looking to you to control it. He's looking to you to take care of it. He's not looking to you to bury it, hold on to it, save it, store it. He's saying, go out and put it to work. Go out and use it. Go out and produce more of what you have. And in the process, you will become something you never thought you could be. So you thought it was just about your talent. You just thought it was about your stuff. You just thought it was about uh, uh, your abilities. But in the process, you're being built up. You're being turned into a better husband and a better wife. You're being turned into a better parent and a better child, a better son and a better daughter. You're being turned into a better employer. You're being turned into a better employee. God is doing something in you. It's amazing the places potential grows. It's amazing the places that God will move you to. I mean, that's all my testimony is. Not my will, but yours. God's greatest investment was his son. God's greatest investment was Jesus. God's greatest investment. Jesus had to come and he had to endure. Persevere, push through, be faithful. Even when his own friends didn't want him to go to the cross, remain faithful. Even when it would have been easy to back out. If there's any way, let this cup pass. But not my will, yours. Bible says in Philippians chapter two, he humbled himself to the point of death. Even death on the cross became obedient, but you know what he really became? Glorified as the son of God. It says that God gave him the name that's above every name. Every tongue will confess and every knee will bow at his lordship. What can God do with your faithfulness today?